Hey, what's going on? It is the People Show. I am Josh Ellie Wolf, filling in for Bick Nazar today on Sportsnet 650. It is the People Show. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Feel free to text in Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf, like I said, filling in for Bic Nazar, who will be on Canuck Central today with Satyar Shah, Dan Riccio. Uh, with the day off, I'm alongside Ben and Costa. We are going to take you through the next hour. Uh, Brendan Batchelor also going to join, in, uh, join us, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Going to talk a bit about the game on Saturday. The Canucks Looking like a playoff team against the Toronto Maple Leafs in what head coach Rick Tockett deemed as a playoff game, and they won. The Canucks looked really good, really frustratingly good, because they did that against the Maple Leafs in a game that had no stakes. And Vancouver back in action tonight. They are taking on the Nashville Predators. Uh, No Colin Delia. He is sick. No Thatcher Demko getting a day off. It will be Arthur Silovs in net for your Vancouver Canucks. We are three days removed from the trade deadline as well. Uh, I know all the shows on the station have gone into very, very deep detail about what happened on Friday, what the Canucks' direction is, what their plan is. And I think it's become very clear And they've made it very clear with the moves they made that this is very obviously a retool. And we've all, I think, gotten to the point where we accepted it. We don't have to agree with it, but we accept it. And we move on and we judge them based on that and the moves they make that align with that. Uh, So what I do want to go through today, and we'll go through it a little bit with uh, maybe Batch as well, but at least before we get him on, we'll talk about it. And then uh, in the second segment, we'll talk a bit about it as well. What is a successful retool for the Vancouver Canucks? I kind of have a checklist of things that I don't know if they necessarily need to get done this summer. Some of them probably do. But if you're going to commit to a retool and you're going to make that your direction and stick to it, I have a list of things I want to see get done at some point for Canucks management. And I guess I'll start with that now. So what I think needs to happen for the Canucks, if they if they are serious about this retool, is that they need to move some pieces out. Believe it or not, this team isn't working. I don't know who would have thought that. Ben, do you think it's working? You don't think so. Uh, Costa. Do you think it's working? I don't. Uh, he doesn't think so. So, odds are it, it, it's probably not working. And the way the Canucks can improve and actually retool is they have to find ways to move pe- pieces out. And the easiest way to do that, and Patrick Alvin talked a bit about this on Friday. He seemed very hesitant about it when it came up, is buying out Oliver ekman Larson. And what comes with that is a lot of cap relief for the Canucks 
next season and the season after. There are a couple seasons in the future where the cap hit of, a, of his buyout goes up to around $4 million. I think if you're the Canucks, you hope that that lines up with the cap going up as well. But at least for this season or for next season and the following, you do get quite a bit of cap relief. And that's the easiest way for the Canucks to free up the cap space that they need to get better elsewhere. And the big question that comes up with that is, A, is Canucks ownership willing to do that? Is that your question? That was my number one question. Yeah. it's Is it, ownership going to be okay paying almost $20 million into the 2030 season for a guy that isn't playing hockey for you? That's That's the question. My answer to that is, hey, if you're Canucks ownership, and by all accounts, they've been very adamant that they want a playoff team or a team that's capable of making the playoffs. And we've seen the Canucks kick the can down the road quite a bit over the last few years with the goal of making the playoffs. So my answer to that, if if I'm ownership, is like, well, if, if I'm serious about this, if I'm serious about the team being in a retool phase and not a rebuild phase, I need to do whatever I can to help this management group put the team in a spot to win and a spot to add players that are going to help. And I know it's going to cost a lot, but that's the easiest way for the Canucks to free up cap space. I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you think if and we can all agree that retooling is now what the Canucks are doing and have been doing, Do you think this current management group sees that as a path to we can make the playoffs under the time that Rick Tockett has signed with this team? Or do you think they honestly believe that with the core that they have now, that this team can become a contender just by retooling? Contender for this, not making the playoffs, like Like winning the Stanley Cup. Cup. I, I will say, I think it's very realistic for this team if. And again, like if you were starting fresh with Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko at their current ages, I would say, hey, that's like a hell of a core to build around. That's great. You have the three main pieces you have to find. Mm -hmm. The issue is finding all those pieces around them because now you're, you're so capped out that it's so hard to find those pieces around them. And so what I will say is like if you're able to handle everything beautifully and make no mistakes then i do think it's possible for this core to become a stanley cup contender i don't know if i think it's possible within a year or two um we will be joined by brendan bachelor in a couple of minutes here there are a couple other things i do think need to be done by canucks management not just buying out oel but other stuff this summer to Put the team in a good position to successfully retool. Uh, we'll get into them a little bit more on the other side, but I do, I do think you have to be able to move Tyler Myers, and I do think you have to be able to move one of Brock Besser or Connor Garland. Do you disagree with that? I, I totally see what you're saying, but I think if you if you start to do both of those things, mm-hmm. you teeter on we're now rebuilding. Yeah. Well, I will say I think if you move Myers. Are you is is someone 
I mean, the, he is a top four defenseman on your team right now. And when you on lose, this team, but I don't know right. if he's a top four defenseman on any other team. I just think the point is when you lose these players that do contribute in some sort of way to your team, it's going to take a hit to your to your record if you're trying to retool. If you're trying to rebuild, that's great. That's the moves to make. And so I think management's going to have to try to balance staying competitive mm-hmm. with getting rid of some players that haven't been successful at this team. For sure. Uh, let's welcome in Brendan Bachelor, Canucks play-by-play voice uh, for you hear him on these airwaves, Sportsnet 650. Uh, thanks for taking the time, Batch. How are you? I'm well. You're working double duty today. You're with us in the booth tonight as well. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Great work. For a really, I'm really hyped about a 7:30 start. That's awesome. Oh gosh. Okay. For all of the talk we get in this market about how much people hate the four o'clock starts when the Leafs come to town, I would take four o'clock starts any day over 7:30 starts personally. And you know, from our perspective. Working the games, like I know you'll be there till the end of the post game show, so you're there till midnight tonight, probably. Yeah, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are late nights. Let's make the games earlier. It's all right. It doesn't matter whether it's for people back east or not. The most important thing is that I get home at a decent hour. Yeah, that's what the schedule maker should be worried about is is batches exactly. home time. Um, exactly. I, I've got. I need to get my beauty rest. Okay? No, I I completely Clean up agree. Midnight late. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, speak so. Saturday, that was an early start, but the Canucks, the Canucks got up for it. How much, uh, how much fun was it to call a game like Saturday? Yeah, it, you know, it, with the way this season has gone, Saturday was a game that reminds you how fun things can be when you're covering a team that plays well and you have exciting games to look forward to. Now, you know, in terms of, of exciting games this season, that might have been the peak for the Canucks with a big win over the Maple Leafs, as we know, they're not going to the playoffs. They don't have a whole lot to play for down the stretch in terms of, you know, anything notable. In fact, most people would rather they lose games rather than win them to help their draft position. But it kind of gives you a sneak peek of where things could get to for this organization if they're able to get themselves back to being a competitive team or a team that at the very least is battling for the playoffs because, you know, I've talked about this before. You know, the Canucks have only made the playoffs once in now the five-plus seasons that we've been calling the games here on 650, and it was the bubble playoffs. So not only have we been deprived of covering playoff games in this city, but you, we've also been deprived of those games down the stretch late in the regular season. The You know, oh, they're battling for a playoff spot. This is a huge matchup against a divisional opponent tonight in late March, early April that could settle their fate one way or another. We haven't had many of those games. So, you know, as far as this season goes, in terms of a game that had that atmosphere in the building that felt like it meant something, the Leafs game is probably going to be it. And, you know, it was an exciting night and a good win for this Vancouver Hockey Club that is looking to turn things around and get on the right track ahead of the start of next season. So do you view it as a game where they, they're they kind of previewing what they can do next year and maybe moving forward under Rick Tockett? Or is it more... Because I think for a lot of fans, it was frustrating seeing them play like that because they're showing they're obviously capable of it, but we just haven't seen it at all this season. Yeah, I mean, I've always believed that they are capable of being a much better team than they've shown this year. 
because they've shown us that they can be a much better team than they've been this year. Look at how successful they were under Bruce Boudreaux down the stretch last year. And I know now with the benefit of hindsight and everything that's happened, you look at that and you say, was the style they were playing sustainable? It was a lot of run-and-gun hockey. Demko bailed them out on a lot of nights. Well, what has Thatcher Demko done since coming back into this lineup but kind of restored a sense of calm and confidence around the group? And, you know, part of that as well is the fact that they are starting to, you know, take some of the things that Rick Tockett is teaching them into account. They've been better in terms of their defensive systems. They aren't giving up the wide-open backdoor tap-ins with as much regularity as we've seen throughout the season. So when you look at it that way, I can understand management's assertion, which we heard from Patrick Alvin on Friday after the deadline, that you know this roster may be a lot closer than people think it is if they can get a coach in that can get them to play with some structure that can help their penalty kill so that it's not costing them points in games throughout the season and can, you know, provide a little bit more accountability and consistency out of this group. But that said, it's one thing to be not as far away as many people think you are, and it's another thing to be as close as you want to be to being a contender. And even if the Canucks, if they were to perform to their strengths throughout the regular season, and, you know, find some consistency and not have injuries and have Demko all year next year, you know, is there an argument they could be a playoff team? Sure there is. Is there an argument that they're a Stanley Cup contender? Absolutely not in my mind. And I think that's where most fans are frustrated with where this group is at right now is, you know, people want them to aspire to more than just being a playoff team. It is the People Show. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf, joined by Canucks play-by-play voice Brendan Batchelor. Uh, you mentioned Rick Talk there and the the impact he's having. And I think one of the players that has obviously been under the spotlight for a lot of reasons this season is JT Miller. But what have you thought uh, of his game under Rick Talk? Because per- personally, I think he's he's kind of turned a corner and might be having a little more success in a system that has a little more structure. Yeah, and, you know, probably benefiting from some added accountability. I think that's something that, you know, a player like JT Miller, we've seen it. He wears his heart on his sleeve, and sometimes his frustrations get the best of him. And that has happened, you know, numerous times throughout the past few years with the Canucks struggling, where he gets away from the things that make him a good player because he wants to win so badly and he's so frustrated that they're struggling that he tries to do too much or, you know, tries to do it all himself. And sometimes, you know, that negative body language actually has impacts in terms of the game, whether it be back checking or slow changes. These are all things that we've talked about ad nauseum with Miller. But we haven't seen as much of that since Rick Tockett has arrived. And, you know, part of it, I think, is that Tockett has a lot of faith in him. Um, you know, we'll hear from Rick Tockett on the pregame show talking about JT Miller specifically and how he sees him fitting in down the middle. But, you know, you look at the way Miller played, uh, oftentimes being hard matched against Matthews in that game against the Leafs on Saturday. And it kind of reminds you of the player that JT Miller is capable of being. So in many ways, you know, Miller's game is kind of a microcosm of the team's game in that, if he can find that consistency, if he can play with that intensity on a night-to-night basis, 
if he can, you know, maybe mature a little bit and move past some of those things that have been negatives for him with the body language and the, the bad back checks and forcing plays and turning the puck over in bad areas of the ice, if he can limit or eliminate some of those things from his game, then it, it kind of makes you believe that he could be a, a consistent part of the solution down the middle for this group on a second line, you know, center ice role going forward. Of course, though, with JT Miller, as always, the most interesting questions around him are going to come off the ice heading into the offseason with continued speculation around his long-term future with the hockey club. Yeah, and that's uh, that's going to persist for what feels like forever. It's super awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, a couple players I wanted to talk about as well is uh, they stood out more on Thursday, I would say. Vitaly Kravtsov and Vasily Podkolzin when they played against the Wild. What have you thought, and, and I know it's only a few games for Kravtsov, but what have you thought of those two put together, obviously with Sheldon Dries in the middle? middle. To me, they've kind of had that, that instant chemistry, and they seem to be bringing out another level in each other. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that there's something there with Kravtsov, which I'm not surprised by because he's a former top 10 pick in the draft, and you don't get picked in that spot for no reason. So, you know, I think the play he made on the Besser goal on Thursday night, I believe it was, was, you know, a tremendous bit of skill. He's made a couple of subtle plays on the walls in his own end that I've, I've really liked. So you can tell that there's a player there. And I think the challenge for Rick Tockett and his coaching staff, now that the Canucks have acquired him, is going to be to, to try and find that on a consistent basis. And to me, that's the same with Vasily Podkolzin, who Tockett has been very complimentary of. He talked this morning with the media about, you know, that he could be on the verge of really figuring it out at the NHL level. And if he's able to do that, then look out in terms of the, the kind of player he could become. That's sort of how I see both of those guys, although, you know, Pod Colson to me is the more sure thing than Kravtsov just because of some of the struggles that Kravtsov's gone through to this point in his career. But they're both players that could bring something for the Canucks. It's just about finding consistency in their game, which for many young players is the most difficult thing to find when breaking into the NHL. You know, you can have a good game or, you know, have a strong performance or be a crucial part of a big win for your team. But as Rick Tonkett always likes to talk about, winning is hard and to do it one night is fine, but to do it the next night and the next night. And when you're playing three and four stretches on the road or four games in six nights with travel or, you know, right now, game number 63 of the season tonight uh, into March here, a very busy month, 15 games in the month of March, and they don't exactly mean a whole lot in terms of the standings, you've still got to be able to bring it on a night-to-night basis. You've got to be a pro and you've got to be a player that your teammates can count on. And that's part of the the individual identity that those guys need to find, but the team identity as a whole that the Canucks need to develop here as a team that brings it every night and is hard to play against. And for both of those guys who are big bodies, who can be effective on the wing, who I think both have offensive upside, that to me is what I'm going to look for down the stretch the rest of the way here. And then coming into training camp and into the start of next season, you know, the summers are going to be very important for, for guys like Kravtsov and Pod Colson because when you're a young player, the off season is where you can make some big strides in terms of, um, you know, 
your your physical stature. I know Talkett has talked about Kravtsov needing to put on a little bit of weight, as he has mentioned, with a number of other players, including Neil Zoman and Jack Studnika. So I think that's the really exciting thing about having young players on your roster is they can sometimes take very big leaps in their game from the start of a season to the end of a season, like we saw with Pod Colson last year when he really started to produce and figure things out in the last 15 to 20 games of the season. And then from the end of one season to the start of another, if a player has a really good offseason, they can come in and, and really change their trajectory as a player based on that, especially when, when they're young players. So I've liked the chemistry with those two guys. I certainly think there's something there. But I think the more important thing to focus on with them, and it will be a very important thing for those two guys to focus on in particular, is how much further they need to go to be everyday contributors that can help this team win going forward. Uh, no Demko tonight. Going to back up Archer Silovs because Delia has a, a non-COVID illness. Uh, are you surprised at how many looks Archer Silovs is getting this season? I'm not entirely based on the fact that they were willing to throw him in there against the Rangers and the Bruins, just to name a couple. And of course the Rangers were the team he played in his first career NHL game. But I think it shows the amount of faith they have in this guy and the amount of belief they have in him that he could actually be something for them down the line. I know Ian Clark obviously is very high on Archer Seelogs. Um, you know, you, you can understand why when you see the way that Seelovs was able to play, albeit in a small sample size in the games he's gotten into this year. And look, you've got 20 games left in the season. You know, the, the points don't matter in terms of, uh, you know, trying to battle back for a playoff spot. Why not give him a, a long run? Why not give him a chance to get into the net and get some of that NHL experience that, you know, talking about Pod Colson and Kravtsov before and about the strides they can take in their game through an offseason. Imagine what Arthur Silovs can do with some NHL experience and understanding the areas that he has to improve his game and the level that he still has to get to. So um, that, that's my biggest takeaway from Silovs getting a chance to play and play a fair bit here uh, is how much trust the organization has in him, how much belief they have in him as a goaltender. And you can understand why when you look at the fact that he's managed to find a way to help this team win games in spite of the fact that they've been a pretty porous defensive club this year. Uh, hey, Batch, appreciate you taking the time, and uh, have a good call tonight. Thank you very much, and I'm really glad you're filling in for Vic today because we didn't have to talk about Manchester United at all after they lost 7-0 to Liverpool at the weekend, so we can move on from that conversation. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but we'll, we'll see you in the booth tonight, Josh. Sounds good. See you later. That is uh, Brendan Batchelor. I had no idea. I was even going to bring up United because I was like, I wonder if they did something this weekend, but I didn't look it up. Brendan Batchelor, uh, voice of the Canucks. You can hear him on the call along with Randeep Janda tonight at 7.30. 7.30 puck drop between the Canucks and the Nashville Predators. I did want to get some news in as well. So in the NFL earlier today, Derek Carr signing with the uh, New Orleans Saints, a four-year deal. A lot of Seahawks fans here. The Seattle Seahawks and Pro Bowl quarterback Geno Smith have reportedly agreed to a three-year $105 $105 million contract as of about 10 minutes ago. That's from Adam Schefter and includes $52 million in the first year. Uh, so 
Geno, Seahawks quarterback, maybe not for all three years, but I would assume that at least means for next season and and potentially the one after. What do you think, Ben? He got paid. He got paid. I'm a little bit nervous what happens next. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like look, he, he looked really good this year, but yeah. I don't know. It's a it's a dangerous game. Uh, it is the People Show. We'll get back into some of the retool talk we were talking about earlier, what the Canucks need to do to successfully retool, and also a bit more. Maybe the uh, Atlanta Thrashers coming back, a, a team in Houston. Oh, my goodness. We'll talk about that and more. It is the People Show. I am Josh Elliott-Wolf on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The People Show. I am Josh Elliott Wolf, filling in for Bic Nazar, who will be on Canucks Central today with Satyar Shaw. That's coming up at 4. They will be joined by Frank Saravalli at 4.30 and Don Taylor at 5.30, so stay tuned for that. Once again, late puck drop tonight for the Canucks. 7.30, they're taking on the Nashville Predators. Late start because it's a national game. Monday night hockey. Back-to-back national games for the Canucks. Yeah. Well, this one a little less prime time, though. Mm-hmm. In fact, more, less prime time than usual for them. Maybe they'll win it, though. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Nashville, they've looked not so great this year, but UC Soros, I'm not sure if he's getting the start, but he has been, he's been playing lights out lately. I uh, did want to get back into the retool conversation. Uh, we, we started the show with it. We talked a bit about what the Canucks should do to, or yeah, what the Canucks should do or need to do to free up cap space to be a great, like the Canucks have put themselves in a position where they have to be aggressive this off season. If you make the Philip Hironic trade, you have to be aggressive this off season, next off season. If your goal is to capitalize on Pedersen, Hughes and Demko, because now you, now you've given yourself a window and you have to be able to make moves within that window. So we brought up buying out OEL. To me, that's like, I don't want to say non-negotiable, but it's as close as it can get because he's not, he, you can play him on your third pair at the level he's playing at right now, but that $7 million would be better used in so many other places. So to me, like that's something you have to do if you're Francesco Aquilini. You have to do that because... Otherwise, you're hamstringing the team uh, moving forward. Aside from that, I mentioned it. I do think you have to find a way to move Tyler Myers. You have to find a way to move one of, if not both of, Brock Besser and Connor Garland. Starting with Myers, I know you brought it up, Ben, that he is he is a top four defenseman on this team. And I don't think there's any debating that. He eats a lot of minutes, plays on the penalty kill. The issue is he should not be a top four defenseman. And he's getting overpaid for what he's bringing right now. And he does have, so his salary next season is only $1 million salary after his $5 million signing bonus, which I believe is on July 1st. $6 million cap hit, though. So what's interesting to me is I do think there's usually a few teams who 
want to hit the cap floor. Maybe it's a team like Arizona. Maybe in, in past years, it's been a team like the Ottawa Senators, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere near that conversation this offseason. But there are usually two or three teams that want to do things that get them to the cap floor or at least a little bit above it. And I do think there could be a fit there if the Canucks are looking for a trade like that. And I don't think you're you're getting much, if anything, in return. But I do think they shouldn't have that much issue trading Tyler Myers. Especially because, look, I, I know we all like to hate on the guy. So you just want him gone. You just I think you just want him gone. I, I'm, I do think there's a potential you could get a return. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a third round pick or whatever. If a team's desperate. But how is that helping retool by just... I'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. So the other part of it... So this is just the moving out part. This is just the freeing up caps. I jumped ahead. Yeah. No, you're you're trying to spoil it. Uh, The other part is moving one of Besser or Garland. And again, I don't think you, you... A, I don't think you need a big return for them. B, I don't think you're getting a big return for either of them. We've seen what the winger market has been like this season i think you'd be lucky to in besser's case you'd be happy to get the cap off the books maybe get a third or fourth rounder in return um if that because i think a lot of teams might view him as a negative asset at this point and for connor connor garland maybe in a similar range i do i do wonder if like mikhail granland got a second in return for nashville i don't think connor garland is worse than mikhail granland so, in an ideal world, you'd get a second. Uh, but I do think Connor Garland, he has... There, there's some preconceived notions about him just based on his size and all that. So, like, if you get a pick and return and move the whole cap, that's good. If you are able to... Let's say you buy out OEL, move Myers, and move Besser, and, and you aren't able to... Our text box would be very happy. Our text box would be very happy. <laughs> but let's say you are able to do that. It's a big if, but you are able to do that without retaining any salary. That would free up just over $19 million in cap space. And that's assuming you don't have to retain on Besser or Myers. And also that you don't move anyone else out. Because maybe, hey, maybe a guy like Anthony Beauvillier this offseason... You build up his value by playing with Elias Pettersson. A team likes his his speed and wants to throw a draft pick at you to take him. Maybe that's something that happens. But I do think it's very possible to have anywhere between 17 to $19 million in cap space next season. And so what that allows you to do, and we're getting to the retool part of this. Here we go. Aggressively is you need to, here's what you have to bring in. You have to bring in at least one top four defenseman. Maybe two. Ideally two. You You, just brought in one. You just brought in one, but I think you need two more. Wow. At least one more, though. Okay. For next season, if you're just trying to be a playoff team. Um, And you need whatever defenseman you bring in. Hironic, I think, is a very good penalty-killing defenseman. I think you need whatever other defenseman you bring in to also be able to kill penalties. Because we know how bad this penalty kill has been. You need guys that can have success there. Preferably a guy who's good in his own zone, can move the puck, but doesn't need to be an offensive defenseman. Mm -hmm. I threw out the name on on Twitter just to kind of get the people going a little bit. And because I think it could be theoretically interesting, Chris Chris Tanev. Tanev. Yes. 
And and the reason I brought it up is not because I think I, I, I hate when fans do this is when they're like, oh, man, remember that guy that used to play for our team? We should bring him back. And, and like, most of the time they – He actually fits the mold, though, of yeah. what the Canucks currently need. Exactly. Uh, if you look at his underlying stats, he's still Chris Tanev defensively. He's still really, really good. Um, he is 33 years old and makes $4.5 million next season, which I don't think the salary is an issue with the amount of um, – with how good he is defensively. But I, obviously the age doesn't really fit the Canucks window, but it is a, it's a one-year remaining on his contract. And so I I said on Twitter I would I would be very interested to see what a potential return to the Flames would be for Tanev. And I do think the Canucks would probably be priced out of it if he was made available just because I think contending teams would be interested in a guy like that and would probably be willing to pay a lot more than the Canucks would be. But if you could get Tanev for a mid-round pick, that would be really interesting. But what I will say is Back to what I was saying is if you can if you bring in one or two, let's say two top four defensemen, that's probably costing you nine to ten million. If you're able to find like a deal on a couple guys. The other part of all this is like the the UFA market, it might be very difficult to find players. And maybe you can get a, a Gabrikov, but aside from that, like it, it's just gonna be it, and it's the same every year. You're overpaying for guys in free agency, but the Canucks also don't have any assets to trade. So all of this is going to be very difficult to do. Onto the onto the next part of the checklist, though. So that's the defenseman. I do think if you move both Besser and Garland, you have to bring in a top six forward as well. Whether it's a winger or center is fine because that just depends on what you want to do with JT Miller. If you believe he's a center you might be able to find a winger for cheaper. You would be able it to. It sounds play. like they're looking for a young center. Yes. So that that's also been on the Canucks radar. Um and that's the third part of this. You need to find a third line center that can kill penalties. And ideally they would be young. But again, what assets do you have to trade for a young center? Like your first round pick this year, your first round pick next year? Probably not trading those. Yeah, ideally you don't trade those. If you do trade those, like you better, they you better, better be go hit. all in next year. And that play, yeah, you're right. They better hit. Right. They better be a great player. Not even sure that's worth a first round pick for a third line center. No. Well, it'd be like a third line center with the, the potential to be a top six center, okay. like someone like a, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't want to throw any names out because I just yeah. don't want them to like throw out their first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. I know Thomas Drance has mentioned this a lot. If if you are going to be a good team next year or or have goals to be a good team, team next year, you need a good backup goalie as well. Spencer Martin, love the guy. He had a great run last year. He isn't cutting it. Colin Delia, I think he's been fine. But if you want to make the playoffs, he isn't cutting it. Um, Archer Silovs, maybe but I think ideally you'd like him to be starting in Abbotsford. And that's probably best for his development if you want him to be the successor to Thatcher Demko. And then once Demko's contract is up, you look at where Seelovs is at, maybe he's ready to start for you, or he backs up for a season or two before Demko's contract is up. But next season, I don't think he's ready for that. 
And so those are the four things I think you need to do if you are fully committed. Well, I guess seven things if you include moving players out. If you are fully committed to being aggressive and being competitive next year, not even Stanley Cup caliber competitive, just playoff competitive. And the all of that, again, is it's going to be so hard to do, but that's what you have to do if you are going to successfully retool, I think. Yeah, I like it. I like the plan because there is a plan. I think it kind of hits the nail on the head in terms of what this team needs against what it has right now that obviously isn't working. With the OEL buyout, I'm very curious to see what management does if they do it, if ownership gives them the green light. Because if ownership doesn't give them the green light or management decides they don't want to do that, that 19 million potential is back down to 12. Yeah. And it it really... That really handicaps you. Yeah. You're hamstringed in so many other ways that it's just... It's so difficult to work around that. Yeah. Especially because then you... Not only do you have to find a top four defenseman, and that's probably going to cost... At least... Four, four or five. Four or five million at least. Mm-hmm. Then you also have that seven million on your third pair. Yeah. And you got to work around that. I think the only thing I'd maybe argue you on is to think that you can move Garland and Besser is a bit... I, w- I would think you would move one. Sure. But with the current cap situation in the NHL, I think you'd have to retain at least some salary. I I agree on Besser to an extent. I like I I still think a lot of it is name recognition mm-hmm. and I think GMs think that they can unlock Brock Besser. But I I get you. It's a flat cap. It's it's Besser re- does things once in a while, once every 5 or 6 games, like the shot against Minnesota. Yeah. Where he just wires one home top corner and GMs must go, there he is. <laughs> yeah, that's Brock Besser. I'll trade a a pick for him. Right. Um you're right, though. It it would take a lot of selling, and it might depend on what where teams have cap space this offseason. Like a team at the draft might look at their roster and think, "Man, like we need a we need a winger, and we have a decent amount of cap space." But again, you're right. It's it's hard to it's hard to see which teams are going to fit that mold. Exactly. Um, I'm also curious to see what order they potentially do all these moves in. Is it a buyout first and see if that comes to fruition with, you know, management talking to ownership? And mm-hmm. then, you know, you have that in place. And then do you try to move a winger out first? Do you try to move a defenseman out first? Who are you trying to bring in? Because it's all in flux at the same time. And so with your moves, if you have to move out all these pieces, then you can't obviously bring pieces in until that's done. Yeah. And the UFA market, who knows what it's going to look like on July 1st. But if you're still doing moves, it could dry up quicker. It's kind of a it's a it's a race in a way, and what's going to be the priority? Like, what is the Canucks's priority to bring in and to change? And to me, I will say, like, I don't think any of what they're doing now makes sense unless you're confident. And Alvin talked about this on Friday. Like, if you if you are committing to future salary in Heronic, and you're not moving out any salary with that, aside from a Curtis Lazar or Riley Stoneman, then you better be confident that you are able to clear, like, 
ext- 100% extremely confident that you are going to free up some cap space this offseason. And that's why I'm like, to me, none of these, none of what they've done in the last week or two makes sense unless they know that buying out OEL is an option. And I bet this management group has players in mind that we're going to target this person. How many times has Alvin gone on a press conference or done a been on Canucks Central or anything after hours and talked about how the Canucks want players 25 or younger? Mm-hmm. That has been said over and over again. So there is a group of players out there that I'm sure Alvin is looking at and has, you know, he talks about it all the time too. He's tracked it since he was at his last job. He knows what players he wants to go get. I think it's a, a matter of if he can have the cap space to be able to afford and actually get them to come here. And, and the the other part of that is like, you can identify players if you're Patrick Alvin and say, hey, I really want that player. But you also have to have the patience to say like, hey, I, d- I don't have enough cap space to do this right now. And I, I think they did do that last offseason where they probably wanted to be in on guys like John Marino or or do some other moves that would have helped their defense, but they didn't have the cap space. And the eventually you do have to you have to follow through. You can't just talk about being like, hey, we, we think we're going to be able to do this or we're confident that in the offseason we will be able to free up cap space. When you haven't done it yet, you don't have any track record of credibility. Of, yeah, cra- credibility. You don't have any of it right now. And you have to show that you can do it. And this offseason, that's that's going to be a major talking point. Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to be talking about JT Miller a lot. I don't know how realistic that is, especially now that they seem to want to be competitive in the next year or two. But again, that would free up $8 million. If you're able to do that, sure. Gemma Carson-Smith was on Canucks uh, talk earlier today. And stuck with her guns by saying it's a tough contract to move. She doesn't mm-hmm. think that contract can be moved. And if the Canucks are in a win now slash win pretty soon mode, which is kind of what it seems like they're being with this retool, JT Miller's a good hockey player. He's going to help you win hockey games. He He's totally functional and a, a very good player. So to move that would be a step backwards for what they've been wanting to do. So I'm very interested to see what move is next. Like the Heronic thing, he's 25, he's a good defenseman, he's going to help them win hockey games. Mm-hmm. So they obviously want to win soon. And they honestly, all their moves is, they, like, we bring up the Horvat trade as a future move, but I do, it just seems like now that we have the benefit of hindsight, all their moves have been to maximize Patterson and Hughes's prime. And I think the, the Heronic trade is just, an extension of the Horvat trade. Do you think part of that's because they want to show PD before the ability to re-sign him that we're doing what we can to maximize your time here, your best years here by surrounding you with the best players we can given the situation we inherited and now find ourselves in? Potentially, but I, I just think that's also that's a dangerous game. If you're catering to a player who obviously he's he's amazing, but you you have to do what's best for the team and not what's best for a specific player. And maybe in the end, the retool ends up being best for the team. I just, again, we we've talked about this. It's you have to nail every single move now, and and that gets real really complicated. Uh, I did want to get this in. It is the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf uh, with Ben Bassrin as well. Uh, Connect Central coming up at four o'clock. But some news to well, not really news. Some rumors lately around the NHL. 
that we we've been getting Kevin Weeks eyes emojis everywhere. All the insiders, not all the insiders, but a few insiders have been like, oh, this this might happen maybe one day. Uh, This from Andy Strickland. League source on rumors of Atlanta and Houston expansion, which has been brought up lately. They are two cities that have expressed interest, but neither of these two are ahead of anyone else. And nothing is happening soon, if at all. And that league source went on to say, not sure these two cities are even at the top of our list. So... The Thrashers. The, yeah, the league return. expansion. So the the rumor that was going around is that, hey, maybe the league was looking at Atlanta and Houston, two really big American markets, as potential destinations for expansion teams for the NHL. I will say, I know Atlanta has had their issues. I am all for a team in Atlanta again. Really? If, okay. if they can get decent ownership. Because what happened with their last owners is, I think I think the situation was, they when they bought the Atlanta Hawks, they also had to buy the Thrashers, and they didn't want the Thrashers, so they kind of sabotaged that team. And we know what happened; they moved to Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Fans weren't interested, and and they left Atlanta. But I do think if ownership, and it's a really big hurdle, but I do think if ownership came in and committed to Atlanta and building a franchise there, I do think it could work with how big that market is. I think it's really possible. Yeah, and Houston's a big city too. Houston, the same thing. They like But it's hockey in the South. Like is that going to work? It works in Dallas. Yeah. It works in Tampa. It works in Carolina. I don't know. You it, it is more difficult. You have to market it properly. Sure. And you I don't even know if you have to market it properly. You have to... Ownership is very important. Ownership is the biggest thing. Because yeah. we look at Carolina and, look, I they don't want to spend a crazy amount. We can tell by the way they're kind of... They're, they're very analytics focused, but they put a good product on the ice and fans support it. Arizona, the complete opposite end. Well, they're kind of analytics focused, but they don't spend any money. No. And so their team sucks. And, like, if you're a fan, why... Are, why would you want to go to games when you haven't had a good team maybe ever? Mm-hmm. And so that's why ownership is so important. And I do. There's an inherent danger in putting a team in, in putting two teams in yes. both Southern markets. But if you're the NHL, there's so much more upside in Atlanta and Houston than there is in Quebec City. I was going to bring Quebec City up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Quebec City is a slam dunk. Yep. It's an easy option, it's always going to be there. And that's why the NHL, hey, maybe it's more of a relocation option if things go south in, in maybe it's Atlanta or maybe it's Arizona, Arizona or somewhere else. But I just think as far as expansion goes, if you're the NHL trying to tap into markets, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Houston makes sense. Kansas City might even be ahead of Quebec City as far as – Get Patrick Mahomes hyping up the crowd. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Mahomes would just own the team. That'd be sick. <laughs> Um, but I think they'd be ahead of Quebec City too, just based on trying to tap into markets and and find new fans. Um, this has been the People Show. Uh, thanks for your text six fifty six fifty on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Sat Satyar Shah, Bik Nazar coming up next on Canucks Central. Frank Valley at four thirty. Don Taylor at five thirty pregame. Six thirty puck drop. Seven thirty. Uh, This has been The People Show. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to Costa. I have been Josh Elliott-Wolf 
on Sportsnet 650.